section sixteen of thrilling adventures by land and sea by james o'brayman this librivox recording is in the public domain section sixteen the rescue a young girl had been captured at her father's hut when all the males of the household were absent hunting wolves she is seized by the indians and borne swiftly away to the encampment of a war party of the osages she is then placed in a land canoe and hurried rapidly forward toward their villages among the party she recognizes one whose life she had been instrumental in saving when a prisoner he recognizes her and promises to assist her escape at this point the following narrative commences at a late and solemn hour the indian who had been the captive the night before suddenly ceased his snoring which had been heard without intermission for a great length of time and when mary instinctively cast her eyes toward him she was surprised to see him gently and slowly raise his head he enjoined silence by placing his hand upon his mouth after carefully disengaging himself from his comrades he crept quietly away and soon vanished entirely from sight on the northern side of the spreading beach mary expected he would soon return and assist her to escape although she was aware of the hardships and perils that would attend her flight yet the thought of again meeting her friends was enough to nerve her for the undertaking and she awaited with anxious impatience the coming of her rescuer but he came not she could attribute no other design in his conduct but that of effecting her escape and yet he neither came for her nor beckoned her away she had reposed confidence in his promise for she knew that the indian savage as he was rarely forfeited his word but when gratitude inspired a pledge she could not believe that he would use deceit the fire was now burning quite low and its waning light scarce cast a beam upon the branches overhead it was evidently not far from morning and every hope of present escape entirely fled from her bosom but just as she was yielding to despair she saw the indian returning in a stealthy pace bearing some dark object in his arms he glided to her side and motioned her to leave the snow canoe and also to take with her all her robes with which she had been enveloped she did his bidding and then he carefully deposited the burden he bore in the place she had just occupied a portion of the object becoming unwrapped mary discovered it to be a huge mass of snow resembling in some respects a human form and the indian stratagem was at once apparent to her relinquishing herself to his guidance she was led noiselessly through the bushes about a hundred paces distant from the fire to a large fallen tree that had yielded to some furious storm when her conductor paused he pointed to a spot where a curve caused the tree trunk to rise about a foot from the surface of the snow under which was a round hole cut through the drifted snow down to the earth and in which were deposited several buffalo robes and so arranged that a person could repose within without coming in contact with the frozen element around mary looked down and then at her companion to ascertain his intentions he spoke to her in a low tone enough of which she comprehended to understand that he desired her to descend into the pit without delay she obeyed and when he had carefully folded the robes and diverse furs about her body he stepped a few paces to one side and gently lifting up a round lid of snow crust placed it over the aperture 
it had been so smoothly cut and fitted with such precision when replaced that no one would have been able to discover that an incision had been made he then bid mary a good-bye in bad english and set off on a run in a northern direction for the purpose of joining the whites with the first light of morning the war party sprang to their feet and hastily dispatching a slight repast they set out on their journey with renewed animation and increased rapidity before starting the chief called to mary and again offered some food but no reply being returned or motion discovered under the robe which he imagined enveloped her he supposed she was sleeping and directed the party to select the most even route when they emerged in the prairie that she might as much as possible enjoy her repose the indian who had planned and executed the escape of mary with the well-devised cunning for which the race is proverbial had told his companions that he would rise before day and pursue the same direction in advance of them and endeavour to kill a deer for their next night's meal thus his absence created no suspicion and the party continued their precipitate retreat but about noon after casting many glances back at the supposed form of the captive reclining peacefully in the snow canoe the chief with much excitement betrayed by his looks which seemed to be mingled with an apprehension that she was dead abruptly ordered the party to halt he sprang to the canoe and convulsively tearing away the skins discovered only the roll of snow he at first compressed his lips in momentary rage and then burst into a fit of irrepressible laughter but the rest raved and stamped and uttered direful imprecations and threats of vengeance immediately they were aware of the treachery of the absent indian and resolved with one voice that his blood should be an atonement for the act the snow was quickly thrown out and the war party adjusted their weapons with the expectation of encountering the whites and then whirling about they retraced their steps far more swiftly than they had been advancing just as the night was setting in they came in sight of the grove where they had encamped they slackened their pace and looking eagerly forward seemed to think it not improbable that the whites had arrived in the vicinity and might be lying in ambush awaiting their return in search of the maid they then abandoned the canoe after having concealed it under some low bushes and entered the grove in a stooping and watchful posture ere long the chief attained the immediate neighbour of the spreading tree and with an arrow drawn to his head crept within a few paces of the spot where he had lain the preceding night his party were mostly a few feet in the rear while a few were approaching in the same manner from the opposite direction hearing no sound whatever he rose up slowly and with an ugh of disappointment strode carelessly across the silent and untenanted place of encampment vexation and anger were expressed by the savages in being thus disappointed they hoped to wreak their vengeance on the whites and resolved to recapture the maiden where they expected to find them the scene was silent and desolate and they now sauntered about under the trees in the partial light of the moon that struggled through the matted branches threatening in the most horrid manner the one who had thus baffled them some struck their tomahawks into the trunks of trees while others brandished their knives and uttered direful threats the young chief stood in silence with his arms folded on his breast 
a small ray of light that fell upon his face exhibited a meditative brow and features expressing both firmness and determination he had said that the captive should be regained and his followers ever and anon regarded his thoughtful attitude with the confidence that his decision would hasten the accomplishment of their desires long he remained thus motionless and dignified and no one dared to address him the young chief called one of the oldest of the party who was standing a few paces distant absorbed in thought to his side and after a short conference the old savage prostrated himself on the snow and endeavoured like a hound to scent the tracks of his recreant brother at first he met with no success but when making a wide circuit round the premises still applying his nose to the ground occasionally and minutely examining the bushes he paused abruptly and announced to the party that he had found the precise direction taken by the maid and her deliverer instantly they all clustered round him evincing the most intense interest some smelt the surface of the snow and others examined the bushes small twigs not larger than pins were picked up and closely scrutinized they well knew that any one passing through the frozen and clustered bushes must inevitably sever some of the twigs and buds their progress was slow but unerring the course they pursued was the direction taken by mary and her rescuer it was not long before they arrived within a few feet of the place of the maiden's concealment but now they were at fault there were no bushes immediately around the fallen tree they paused the chief in the van with their bows and arrows and tomahawks in readiness for instant use they knew that the maiden could not return to her friends on foot or the treacherous savage be able to bear her far on his shoulder they thought that one or both must be concealed somewhere in the neighbourhood and the fallen tree were it hollow was the place most likely to be selected for that purpose after scanning the fallen trunk a few minutes in silence and discovering nothing to realize their hopes they uttered a terrific yell and commenced striking their tomahawks in the wood and ripping up the bark in quest of some hiding-place but their search was in vain the fallen trunk was sound and solid throughout and the young chief sat down on it within three paces of mary others in passing about frequently trod on the very verge of the concealed pit mary was awakened by the yell but knew not that the sound came from her enemies the indian had told her that he would soon return and her heart now fluttered with the hope that her father and her friends were at hand yet she prudently determined not to rush from her concealment until she was better assured of the fact she did not think that the savages would ever suspect that she was hid under the snow but yet she thought it very strange that her father did not come to her at once several minutes had elapsed since she had been startled by the sounds in the immediate vicinity she heard the tramp of men almost directly over her head and the strokes against the fallen trunk she was several times on the eve of rising up but was as often withheld by some mysterious impulse she endeavoured to reflect calmly but still she could not by any mode of conjecture realise the probability of her foes having returned and traced her thither yet an undefinable fear still possessed her and she endeavoured with patience to await the pleasure of her friends 
but when the chief seated himself in her vicinity and fell into one of his fits of abstraction and the whole party became comparatively still and hushed the poor girl's suspense was almost insufferable she knew that human beings were all around her and yet her situation was truly pitiable and lonely she felt assured that if the war party had returned in pursuit of her the means which enabled them to retrace their victim to the fallen trunk would likewise have sufficed to indicate her hiding-place then why should they hesitate the yells that awakened her were not heard distinctly and under the circumstances she could not believe that she was surrounded by savages on the other hand if they were her friends why did they not relieve her now a sudden but alas erroneous thought occurred to her she was persuaded that they were her friends but that the friendly indian was not with them he had perhaps directed them where she could be found and then returned to his home might not her friends at that moment be anxiously searching for her would not one word suffice to dispel their solicitude and restore the lost one to their arms she resolved to speak bowing down her head slightly so that her precise location might not instantly be ascertained she uttered in a soft voice the word father the chief sprang from his seat and the party was instantly in commotion some of the savages looked above among the twining branches and some shot their arrows in the snow but fortunately not in the direction of mary while others ran about in every direction examining all the large trees in the vicinity the chief was amazed and utterly confounded he drew not forth an arrow nor brandished a tomahawk while he thus stood and the rest of the party were moving hurriedly about a few paces distant mary again repeated the word father as suddenly as if by enchantment every savage was paralyzed each stood as devoid of animation as a statue for many moments an intense silence reigned as if naught existed there but the cheerless forest trees slowly at length the tomahawk was returned to the belt and the arrow to the quiver no longer was a desire to spill blood manifested the dusky children of the forest attributed to the mysterious sound a supernatural agency they believed it was a voice from the perennial hunting-grounds humbly they bowed their heads and whispered devotions to the great spirit the young chief alone stood erect he gazed at the round moon above him and sighs burst from his breast and burning tears ran down his stained cheek impatiently by a motion of the hand he directed the savages to leave him and when they withdrew he resumed his seat on the fallen trunk and reclined his brow upon his hand one of the long feathers that decked his head waved forward after he had been seated thus a few minutes and when his eye rested upon it he started up wildly and tearing it away trampled it under his feet at that instant the same father was again heard the young chief fell upon his knees and while he panted convulsively said in english father mother i'm your poor william you loved me much where are you oh tell me i will come to you i want to see you he then fell prostrate and groaned piteously father oh where are you whose voice was that said mary breaking through the slight incrustation that obscured her and leaping from her covert 
the young chief sprang from the earth gazed a moment at the maid spoke rapidly and loudly in the language of his tribe to his party who were now at the place of encampment seated by the fire they had kindled and then seizing his tomahawk was in the act of hurling it at mary when the yells of the war party and the ringing discharges of firearms arrested his steel when brandished in the air the white men had arrived the young chief seized mary by her long flowing hair again prepared to strike the fatal blow when she turned her face upward and he again hesitated discharges in quick succession and nearer than before still rang in his ears mary strove not to escape nor did the indian strike the whites were heard rushing through the bushes the chief seized the trembling girl in his arms a bullet whizzed by his head but unmindful of danger he vanished among the dark bushes with his burden she's gone she's gone exclaimed rough grove looking aghast at the vacated pit under the fallen trunk but we will have her yet said boone as he heard glenn discharge a pistol a few paces apart at the bushes the report was followed by a yell not from the chief but sneak and the next moment the rifle of the latter was likewise heard still the indian was not dispatched for the instant afterward his tomahawk which had been hurled without effect came sailing over the bushes and penetrated a tree hard by some fifteen or twenty feet above the earth where it entered the wood with such a force that it remained firmly fixed now succeeded a struggle a violent blow was heard the fall of the indian and all was still a minute afterward sneak emerged from the thicket bearing mary in his arms and followed by glenn is she dead oh she's dead cried roughgrove snatching her from the arms of sneak she has only fainted exclaimed glenn examining the body of the girl and finding no wounds she's recovering said boone feeling her pulse god be praised exclaimed roughgrove when returning animation was manifest oh i know you won't kill me for pity's sake spare me said mary it is your father my poor child said roughgrove pressing the girl to his heart it is it is cried the happy girl clinging rapturously to the old man's neck and then seizing the hands of the rest she seemed to be half wild with delight shipwreck of the medusa on the seventeenth of june eighteen sixteen the medusa french frigate commanded by captain chaumeres and accompanied by three smaller vessels sailed from the island of a for the coast of africa in order to take possession of some colonies on the first of july they entered the tropics and there with a childish disregard to danger and knowing that she was surrounded by all the unseen perils of the ocean her crew performed the ceremony usual to the occasion while the vessel was running headlong on destruction the captain presided over the disgraceful scene of merriment leaving the ship to the command of a monsieur rochefort who had passed the ten preceding years of his life in an english prison a few persons on board remonstrated in vain though it was ascertained that they were on the banks of arjuise she continued her course and heaved the lead without slackening the sail everything denoted shallow water but m rochefort persisted in saying that they were in one hundred fathoms 
at that very moment only six fathoms were found and the vessel struck three times being in about sixteen feet water and the tide full flood at ebb tide there remained but twelve feet water and after some bungling manoeuvres all hope of getting the ship off was abandoned when the frigate struck she had on board six boats of various capacities all of which could not contain the crew and passengers and a raft was constructed a dreadful scene ensued all scrambled out of the wreck without order or precaution the first who reached the boats refused to admit any of their fellow sufferers into them though there was ample room for more some apprehending that a plot had been formed to abandon them in the vessel flew to arms no one assisted his companions and captain chomarez stole out of a porthole into his own boat leaving a great part of the crew to shift for themselves at length they put off to sea intending to steer for the sandy coast of the desert there to land and thence to proceed with a caravan to the island of st louis the raft had been constructed without foresight or intelligence it was about sixty-five feet long and twenty-five broad but the only part which could be depended upon was the middle and that was so small that fifteen persons could not lie down upon it those who stood on the floor were in constant danger of slipping through between the planks the sea flowed in on all its sides when one hundred and fifty passengers who were destined to be its burden were on board they stood like a solid parallelogram without a possibility of moving and they were up to their waists in water the desperate squadron had only proceeded three leagues when a faulty if not treacherous manoeuvre broke the tow-line which fastened the captain's boat to the raft and thus became the signal to all to let loose their cables the weather was calm the coast was known to be but twelve or fifteen leagues distant and the land was in fact discovered by the boats on the very same evening on which they abandoned the raft they were not therefore driven to this measure by any new perils and the cry of nous les abandonnons which resounded throughout the line was the yell of a spontaneous and instinctive impulse of cowardice perfidy and cruelty and the impulse was as unanimous as it was diabolical the raft was left to the mercy of the waves one after another the boats disappeared and despair became general not one of the promised articles no provisions except a very few casks of wine and some spoiled biscuit sufficient for one single meal was found a small pocket-compass which chance had discovered their last guide in a trackless ocean fell between the beams into the sea as the crew had taken no nourishment since morning some wine and biscuit were distributed and this day the first of thirteen on the raft was the last on which they tasted any solid food except such as human nature shudders at the only thing which kept them alive was the hope of revenge on those who had treacherously betrayed them the first night was stormy and the waves which had free access committed dreadful ravages and threatened worse when day appeared twelve miserable wretches were found crushed to death between the openings of the raft and several more were missing 
but the number could not be ascertained as several soldiers had taken the billets of the dead in order to obtain two or even three rations the second night was still more dreadful and many were washed off although the crew had so crowded together that some were smothered by the mere pressure to soothe their last moments the soldiers drank immoderately and one who affected to rest himself upon the side but was treacherously cutting the ropes was thrown into the sea another whom monsieur Corard had snatched from the waves turned traitor a second time as soon as he recovered his senses but he too was killed at length the revolted who were chiefly soldiers threw themselves upon their knees and abjectly implored mercy at midnight however they rebelled again those who had no arms fought with their teeth and thus many severe wounds were inflicted one was most wantonly and dreadfully bitten above the heel while his companions were beating him upon the head with their carbines before throwing him into the sea the raft was strewed with dead bodies after innumerable instances of treachery and cruelty and from sixty to sixty-five perished that night the force and courage of the strongest began to yield to their misfortunes and even the most resolute laboured under mental derangement in the conflict the revolted had thrown two casks of wine and all the remaining water into the sea and it became necessary to diminish each man's share a day of comparative tranquillity succeeded the survivors erected their mast again which had been wantonly cut down in the battle of the night and endeavoured to catch some fish but in vain they were reduced to feed on the dead bodies of their companions a third night followed broken by the plaintive cries of wretches exposed to every kind of suffering ten or twelve of whom died of want and awfully foretold the fate of the remainder the following day was fine some flying fish were caught in the raft which mixed up with human flesh afforded one scanty meal a new insurrection to destroy the raft broke out on the fourth night this too was marked by perfidy and ended in blood most of the rebels were thrown into the sea the fifth morning mustered but thirty men alive and these sick and wounded with the skin of their lower extremities corroded by the salt water two soldiers were detected drinking the wine of the only remaining cask they were instantly thrown into the sea one boy died and there remained only twenty-seven of whom fifteen only seemed likely to live a council of war preceded by the most horrid despair was held as the weak consumed a part of the common store they determined to throw them into the sea this sentence was put into immediate execution and all the arms on board which now filled their minds with horror were with the exception of a single sabre committed to the deep distress and misery increased with an accelerated ratio and even after the desperate means of destroying their companions and eating the most nauseous aliments the surviving fifteen could not hope for more than a few days existence a butterfly lighted on their sail the ninth day and though it was held to be a messenger of good yet many a greedy eye was cast upon it three days more passed over in inexpressible anguish when they constructed a smaller and more manageable raft in the hope of directing it to the shore but on trial it was found insufficient 
on the seventeenth day a brig was seen which after exciting the vicissitude of hope and fear proved to be the argus sent out in quest of the medusa the inhabitants of the raft were all received on board and were again very nearly perishing by a fire which broke out in the night the six boats which had so cruelly cast them adrift reached the coast of africa in safety and after many dangers among the moors the survivors arrived at st louis after this a vessel was dispatched to the wreck of the medusa to carry away the money and provisions after beating about for eight days she was forced to return she again put to sea but after being away five days again came back ten days more were lost in repairing her and she did not reach the spot till fifty-two days after the vessel had been lost and dreadful to relate three miserable sufferers were found on board sixty men had been abandoned there by their magnanimous countrymen all these had been carried off except seventeen some of whom were drunk and others refused to leave the vessel they remained at peace as long as their provisions lasted twelve embarked on board a raft for sahara and were never more heard of another put to sea on a hen-coop and sunk immediately four remained behind one of whom exhausted with hunger and fatigue perished the other three lived in separate corners of the wreck and never met but to run at each other with drawn knives they were put on board the vessel with all that could be saved from the wreck of the medusa the vessel was no sooner seen returning to st louis than every heart beat high with joy in the hope of recovering some property the men and officers of the medusa jumped on board and asked if anything had been saved yes was the reply but it is all ours now and the naked frenchmen whose calamities had found pity from the moors of the desert were now deliberately plundered by their own countrymen a fair was held in the town which lasted eight days the clothes furniture and necessary articles of life belonging to the men and officers of the medusa were publicly sold before their faces such of the french as were able proceeded to the camp at Decade, and the sick remained at st louis the french governor had promised them clothes and provisions but sent none and during five months they owed their existence to strangers to the british End of section sixteen